Hey, check out theherfcast.com. There you will find all the links to the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Speaking of which, this episode is on YouTube as well, if you'd rather watch me talk to somebody instead of just hear me. Um, there's also Patreon, all the backlogged episodes, all that good stuff, um, and a store where you could buy a shirt if you'd like. Uh, yeah, do that. Uh, don't forget to check out stogiebird.com. Use the code HERFCAST, and that will save you $5 off your order. Stogiebird.com, Cigar of the Month, or regular cigar purchases, and use the code HERFCAST to save $5. Thanks. Hopefully you enjoy this episode. All right, what's going on, everybody? Uh, Brian with the HERFCAST. Uh, today I've got with me uh, Greg Mance, chief of the Griffith, Indiana Police Department. And uh, he's a casual cigar smoker once or twice a year, I think you were saying. Um, and today we've got a couple of uh, JSK, the Jassim Kral Robustos, the Red Knights. Um, you know, local police, local cigars. I, I don't know if you're <laughs> familiar at all. Uh, JSK Cigars, he's out of uh, northwest Indiana. Really? So, um, and he makes a quality product. So, uh, the ones I have on deck are the Tyrannical Buck, if... Uh, if we get that far, I know uh, you don't have all the time in the world, unlike unlike myself. So, no, I appreciate the invitation. This is great. Thank you. Yeah, I I appreciate you making the time to come by. So, um, I guess uh, I guess to start, just uh, maybe a little bit of a background on um, your your journey to become chief of police. Like, what was what kind of career did you have? before becoming chief so yeah the uh the chief's job was uh, really never an aspiration of mine uh got hired in griffith uh, was one of the lucky people that uh got hired by the first department i applied with yeah uh, so i started my career in 99 um did four years of patrol uh my goal and aspiration was always to be in investigations so uh in about 2003 i i uh Tested and got put in the detective bureau, and uh, that's really where I, I uh, again had that aspiration to be at. Really enjoyed investigations, had a lot of uh, great experiences, worked a lot of great officers, not only from Griffith but through other departments throughout the region. Did everything from uh, minor thefts to, to murders. Uh, through the uh, investigative assignment in Griffith, I was put on the Northwest Indiana Major Crimes Task Force which is a, uh, a group of uh, investigators throughout Lake and Porter County uh, that are called upon on occasion to investigate major crimes, whether that be uh, uh, murder, uh, serial rapes, robberies, things of that nature. Uh, so I, I did, um, I think I got assigned to that in 2007. Did that in conjunction with my assignment here in Griffith. Uh, so I was able, again, to work with a lot of different departments. Uh, unfortunately, we several uh, homicides and um, eventually rose to the ranks with that organization uh, was um, a team leader for a period of time where uh, you kind of manage uh, a group of investigators out on the out on the street while you're investigating these crimes and then just before I became chief uh, I was named the uh, the commander of the unit okay so uh, 
that was uh, that was my investigative career for the most part. Um, and then uh, around 2012, uh, it appeared there might be some change in direction with the police department. And I was always one of the guys that um, was kind of vocal with how I thought things should be. Uh, there were some things that I thought could have been done better, a little bit more planning and thought. Uh, and um, so when, when the opportunity came, I, I felt somewhat obligated to put my name in, in, the, in for consideration for the job. And uh, by good fortune, I guess, uh, uh, I got selected. And since February 2013, I've been the police chief. Right on. But again, it's, it was never really something that I aspired to do. Uh, but, you know, while I was a, an investigator, I went back to college and got my master's degree in uh, uh, public management, public affairs from Indiana University Northwest. So I felt that, that I had some, um, some knowledge that, that might be able to help the town and the department. Yeah. So. so. Um. Something that actually just dawned on me that uh, I had zero thought to it, having you having you come in. Uh, but I, I'm curious if uh, I mean you you were definitely with the department, but uh, if you remember a case of a rather unfortunate event in in Griffith, um, uh, there was two sisters. Um, the the Evans sisters. Were you were you, Do you remember that at all? Yeah, I um, my partner at the time, uh, Matt Argany and I, uh, we uh, that was our case. Um, very tragic. Um, two beautiful uh, young women who were uh, just tragically and viciously killed by a uh, sexual offender who, in my opinion, would have been, if he would have uh, not been caught, would have been a serial killer. Yeah, that's. Uh, if I remember correctly, he was released early on a on a previous rape or something along those lines. Yeah, but he had a well-documented history uh, going back to um, his teenage years of uh, being a sexual predator. Yeah. So, in in a case like that, uh, I don't I don't really want to get too in detail about it. Uh, you know, for emotional reasons and whatnot but um like a case like that like how i remember reading about it and whatnot but like how much how much manpower and um just effort and whatnot goes into something like that Uh, i know that there were multiple departments working on it i believe yeah so that's a prime example of uh the value and the uh strength of a a task force such as, as the Northwest Indiana Major Crimes Task Force. We uh, activated that task force almost immediately upon um, being called and, and obviously noticing that it was a murder. Uh, within uh, an hour, I, we probably had 25 investigators at the scene. And because of that, uh, you know, you're able to cover so much more ground in a matter, you know, what would take weeks or even a month or more you can accomplish in the first 48 hours, which is very critical in investigation. So through the major crimes task force with all the investigators that came to the scene, we were able to canvas neighbors. We were able to, to uh, canvas area for evidence and immediately um, a suspect was developed uh, just basically based upon a name 
and a, and a vague description, just a first name and a vague description. Uh, you know, we had an inv investigator who uh, was very, uh, he was tasked with keeping current with all the sex offenders in, in our town. And uh, with that information of just his name and description, this person came to his mind and uh, in talking with some other party goers that were at that house that night, uh, we were able to positively identify that person and then um, gather evidence throughout the town. Uh, you know, when you, when you investigate a crime like this, you're not only looking for the events that took place during the murder and after, but beforehand. And we were able to establish a very good timeline and, and locate our suspect within the first 24 hours. And uh, my partner and I interviewed him and uh, it was several hour interrogation. And he uh, eventually gave a statement which admitted that he killed the two girls. Uh, his version of events was, as it often is, uh, not quite true. He left some things out there that uh, made him look better than he really was. If you can, if you can somewhat, you know, try to put a spin on a murder, he tried to. Uh, but eventually, uh, through um, the courts, he eventually gave uh, the true uh, events because we knew he wasn't telling the entire truth. Yeah. But as part of his plea agreement to avoid the death penalty, he uh, gave a full and what appeared to be a relatively truthful admission of all the events that took place that night. All right. So, uh, like, again, I can't speak uh, highly enough of, you know, in our region, the Northwest Indian Major Crimes Task Force, but those kind of units in general, it's just the, the amount of resources they bring to a, an investigation, it's just, it can't be beat. Yeah. That's, I... I was not planning on talking about that at all, but <laughs> uh, you have a connection. I, I assume. Yeah, yeah, they were they were good friends of mine. They were they were um, the family was very is a great family. Yeah, um, but yeah. I'm sorry for your loss. No, oh, thank you. Um, so in in something like that, obviously uh, shows like CSI and all that they're they're exaggerated, and uh, but then there's like uh, the first 48, like how how true to life is. Are, are you familiar with the first 48? Yeah, I, I saw a, a few episodes. It's not, I, I generally don't um, watch those type shows, but I, I have seen a few of those, and it, it's, it's pretty realistic. I mean, yeah. obviously, they're, they're embedded into, uh, into these homicide units. We actually had uh, a show similar to that approach the uh, Northwest Indiana Major Crimes Task Force about doing a similar type show with them. Uh, but her call volume just quite isn't, isn't there. Um, but yeah, it's it's those shows are that show is is particularly uh, realistic. Yeah, that's right on. Sometimes uh, I cringe though because they uh, they kind of show our hand with some of the things and tactics that we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, as far as uh, you mentioned doing the interrogation, like interrogations, is it is there a specific uh, like format or style that? Uh, everyone tries to stick to is it the the good cop bad cop routine that you always see or yeah there's there's different philosophies out there there's different schools actually of different types of interrogation uh i think you'll see that um you know in regardless most skilled investigators in my opinion um you try to generally speaking and you have to change tactics with the suspect depending on, on how that goes but you try to develop a rapport try to kind of almost to, to develop a baseline to, to see um what they look like when they're telling the truth and what they what they might look like when they're oh, when okay. they're telling a lie yeah uh you try to minimize whatever crime they've done 
you, you tried to uh, make it seem like it was somehow justifiable. And you, you try to develop their trust and let them put their guard down. And then, uh, you know, people who are genuinely honest and live a decent life made a mistake, the guilt of, of, of a crime weighs on them significantly. So I've had many, and so have every investigator I've ever spoken with about it, had many occasions where a suspect actually thanks you after after they uh, make their statement. I can uh, see be, that. The guilt has been lifted off them. Yeah. They, they now can move forward. It um, doesn't always happen that way, but when it does happen that way, when you have someone thanking you for potentially putting them away for 20 years or more, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's like uh, you know winning the Super Bowl. It's, you yeah. feel pretty good. Yeah. So uh, on to uh, I guess more lighthearted things. Uh, what do you what do you do for fun when uh, <laughs> I, I imagine that uh, being chief takes up there's there's no days off. Uh, what what do you do for for fun when you can? Yeah. So you said that the chief's job's demanding, but there's there's always time, and you got to make time. Uh, you know, we're so close to Chicago. My wife and I um, we enjoy live music. So we uh, spend a lot of time going to uh, when they're open from, uh, you know, the COVID-19, we'll, yeah. we'll be back. But we go to a lot of, you know, everything from major music events at the United Center to, uh, you know, small shows at Space or City Winery. Yeah. Um, uh, City Winery just flooded. Did they really? Yeah. Like I, I seen pictures like the whole like Lower Wacker had a had a massive flood and City Winery's basically yeah. gone. Yeah, <laughs> which I I've only been there once for uh for one acoustic show, um, but it, it seemed like a nice place, and yeah. now now it's gonna have to be completely redone. Yeah, we have these uh, annual one hundred year floods anymore. It seems like, mm-hmm. but yeah, so you know concerts, um, travel. You know we like to travel. We like to uh, go to New Orleans whenever we can. So we're usually in New Orleans at least once a year, enjoying the food and the music there. And then when I just need to kick out and get, get loose a little bit, uh, I've got a motorcycle. I ride whenever yeah. I, I can. Even it's just a short trip around town just to kind of distress. Yeah. So that's uh, we were we were in New Orleans uh, last year. Yeah, th- yeah, last year, um, which was kind of odd because uh, me and my wife, we, we've never been. Uh, she she was never there, and I w- the last time I was there, I think I was nine years old. Really, so I was never really there. Yeah, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, we hit Bourbon Street and all that, and it's like, man, if we were if we were like twenty five, this would be amazing. But I mean, we did we definitely did get our fill of the food and uh, some of the music. So I, I enjoyed it. I don't think she'd she'd ever want to go back. Bourbon but. Street. I mean, it's it's something that everyone should see while they're there. But there's so much more, and that's unfortunate that more people. Um, that's all they get to experience, and it's, uh, you know, there's there's so many more other neighborhoods uh, that are are art driven, um, that are, are are food driven. You got the Garden Center. You got Frenchman Street, uptown. Uh, there's just a lot of different places to explore that you can get off of the tourist area of Bourbon yeah. Street. Uh, and just really enjoy the the people and the music. I, I like New Orleans, I think, because the people remind me a lot of the region. Yeah, they're uh, friendly and uh, they they just kind of think seem to get things done. Yeah, uh, it's uh, when 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 we were there, it was actually when uh, they were detonating the cranes on the Hard Rock. Oh. So we actually like we had to change hotels. Our hotel was like a block away, and we had to change hotels to a different one. It was a big like we wa- we walked around New Orleans for about six six and a half hours somewhere around there with our luggage, 
just walking the streets and waiting for these cranes to get detonated because it was a big show that day. Like we, yeah. we got dropped off by the Uber about six or seven blocks away. Like you know, we we were we got dropped off at the closest point that we could get dropped off at before everything was barricaded off, and um, you know it's like oh they're they're detonating it, detonating the, the the crane demolishing the cranes in uh, like an hour, so uh, found a street corner with a good view, and uh, luckily for me, the uh, the the hotel bar it was it was uh, a hotel on the corner and the hotel bar was. Uh, the door was right there on the corner, so I was able to hop in and grab a beer every once in a while <laughs> while we're waiting. And they kept pushing back the time. Uh, every half hour, it get pushed back another half hour. And finally, I, after after like four hours, they finally um, did the demolition on it and did not go yeah. as planned at all. Um, it was pretty wild. One of the one of the crane I don't know, shafts, the what whatever whatever it is, when it blew. It came down, and like like a pencil getting stuck in styrofoam, it came straight down and stuck in the cement. And when you're walking by, like if you didn't know any better, it looked like that's where it was mounted. It was so perfectly straight. Jeez. It was crazy. But um, but yeah, we we made the best of it. Like the the hotel we would have been at was had had a little bit of amenities, but um, you know. Luckily, the the new place was uh, just a few blocks away and still close enough to everything where we were able to enjoy ourselves yeah. without renting a car or anything. Right. So, but um, um, cigar wise, um, you you say you you normally smoke one or two a year. Yeah, there's a, a few uh, good friends of mine that um, are, you know, very much into cigars and and bourbon and, and scotch and. Uh, I'll meet up with them usually once or twice a year, and uh, it's kind of a, a ritual. Yeah, that's so. uh, we actually share a mutual friend. I, I, from from what I understand, uh, Andrew Nashkoff. Um, He's a good guy. Yeah, that's uh, you know he he mentioned that you were into bourbon, and um, like well, uh, I imagine doing an afternoon <laughs> podcast, it's not going to be uh, an option. I guess. Yeah, hopefully, another time we get to share that. But yeah, I know Andrew's uh, uncle. Good friends with his uncle. He was a uh, Griffith cop for years. Went on to a uh, physician in Illinois, but um, got to know Andrew through him, and yeah, had some good times with Andrew and others. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what kind of what kind of bourbon is a regular staple? Uh, Woodford or Basil Hayden? Yeah. Yeah. See, I the... I love Woodford. I I can't do Basil Hayden. Really? Yeah. Not not a fan. Wow. And I I gave it the good old college try too. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it just didn't do it for me, but yeah, the Woodford, Woodford's got a few, a few nice ones, Yeah. but, um, and then if, if I ever find Blanton's again, you know, cause I, I can never, I have friends that could find it cause they know people at the liquor store and whatnot, but I, you know, the only bottle that I found was at Meyer. Which was completely random. And it, it pops up at the weirdest places. Yeah. I know I was at uh, Costco a few weeks ago, and this uh, ran into another shopper that was feverishly with her phone, FaceTiming with her husband, trying to find the Blantons. And I told her, I said, it's, it's <laughs> never here. I've never yeah. seen it. She says, oh, no, it was here. Someone sent my husband a picture. And she shared me the, the picture with me. And I guess it, they had a limit to, I think, two per customer. But I'm sure that went pretty quick. Because yeah. like you said, it's a, it's a 
it's a rare thing to find, and it's kind of a shame anymore. These these uh, bourbons are just snatched up by collectors and yeah. sit on shelves where you never get a chance to. Well, that just, or you know, just people buying it up to hit the secondary market. Yeah. And, um, you know, just charge a ridiculous amount of money for them. So, um, what about beers? Do you do any beers, or is it pretty much stri- strictly bourbon? Bourbon and uh, you know. A little bit of gin, a little bit of vodka, more yeah. more liquor than 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 beer. But I'll uh, just not. A, I never developed a taste for beer. I'll have one occasionally, but it's it's not one of my preferred drinks. Yeah, yeah. So, how about um, you? Uh, I'm I'm pretty all over the place. Uh, for the most part, it's bourbon. Uh, except like right now, I've been on a beer kick like the past. Uh, well, I guess since uh, since I got laid off, uh, it's it's a lot cheaper to to go with the beer than <laughs> than the booze i guess um but uh, uh lately it's been a lot of a lot of dark beers uh stouts imperial stouts stuff like that um now we got a couple of uh, breweries in town do you do yeah. you frequent those at all or do you uh, have actually, a preference actually uh just a few days ago i i hit new Ober falls and wild rose uh Along with uh, Windmill and Dyer, and Three Floyds, uh, so I could uh, not send beer in the mail to Hawaii. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, a friend of mine from the cigar groups uh, sent me some cigars, and he was looking for some beer. So got some of the local. Like I know you're not getting this in Hawaii, right? You know. Um, and so far, he's tried the one from Dyer, and he enjoyed that. But uh, I like the dark beers from Wild Rose. And then uh, New Ober Falls has a couple of good uh, lagers and whatnot. And then my my favorite was Pacro. Uh, yeah, but it was a shame. that's no longer. Yeah. So. Yeah, I keep hoping one of them uh, starts doing a distilling, but we'll, we'll yeah. see. And now uh, Three Floyd's Brew Pub was announced closed today. Yeah. Um, I imagine they're still going to keep the beer and dist- uh, distillation going. Probably just going to focus more on distribution or selling out. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. I think they. Uh, I don't think they're hurting over there. I think they can probably close yeah. down the the food side of it and still do all right. Yeah. But um, let's say I, I picked up a bottle of their their white dog their their divine right just clear net sweet and potent sweet and hot yeah um but uh, i think i think with clear i'd I'd rather stick with uh the gins so but it's getting to be about gin season as it is so but um uh any any fun non-traumatic cases (laughs) that uh you know everyone always asks that question i'm i'm a when it comes to that, I'm probably the worst guy for your podcast because I'm not a good uh, good storyteller when it comes to stuff like that. But, <laughs> you know, you, you see things, and it's uh, some of the stuff you can't share into your retirement. Uh, yeah, you know, at the retirement party. But um, no, it's 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 a great career. It's challenging, but you um, you get to see people at their best and the worst. You work with some of the best people on the earth, in my opinion. Um, everyone has their own journey, which brings them to the the career law enforcement um but i think most most officers uh are doing it for the right reason 
and um, truly want to help people and, and make the world a better place. So yeah, I mean, I've I've seen some some crazy things. Top of my head, I couldn't uh, couldn't share story with you yeah. right now, but um, it's been so, it's been a good career. Uh, I mean, you mentioned that you know for the most part everyone's doing it for the right reason. Like, what happens when you come across finding out someone's doing it for the wrong reasons or anything like that? How is how is something like that handled? Yeah, usually um, those are the ones that that wash out, and and usually they wash out on their own. They just realize that. You know, it, it's not everything I thought it was going to be or, um, you know, it's it, it's it's a battle. It's a war, so to speak. It's just a, a prolonged, you know, you're not seeing the, the trauma that a soldier might see on an everyday occasion. Yeah. But it's uh, drawn out over years. And uh, some people realize very quickly that, that they don't want to see the things they have to see or deal with the things they have to deal with and uh, choose to take another career path and i applaud those people it's it's not an easy decision to make you invest a lot in yourself to to become a police officer uh the selection process is rigorous uh the academy is rigorous and then you got to complete an fto program which is a field training officer program so at best you're looking at six to nine months before you're kind of on your own Uh, so to go through all that and then say, you know what, this job isn't for me. takes takes a very strong person yeah. to, to admit that. So those are the ones that I have a lot of respect for. The ones that uh, I lose respect for are the ones that uh, just come to the job, uh, and it's it's become just a job to them. And it's uh, you know they're just there to, to collect a check. And again, that's a very very small percentage. I've encountered very few in my career, uh, and those are the ones that um, you know eventually they. They either get disciplined out where they just are notoriously poor in some regard in their job and, uh, you know, they just see the right on the wall and leave or they get fired. Yeah. But, but, again, it's a very small percentage. So now how we how we got in contact was uh, through the Griffith, Griffith Facebook page. Um, you know, you had a uh, Ask the Chief post on, on Facebook and – you know, obviously, I'm going to ask if you smoke cigars, and you know that that's how this came to be. So, with stuff like that, uh, for one, I I think it's great. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of open information that Griffith posts to that to keep everyone informed. Um, is, do do you guys get a lot of just petty negativity through stuff like that, or does it seem to be mainly positive? You know, on our page, for the most part, um, it's very positive. There's a, a few uh, a few people that throughout the years, uh, you know, they're just not happy with even a single decision that we've made or or just some particular issue, and uh, because of that, you know, they'll they'll kind of opportunists. They'll wait for you to, you know, and I'm a public servant, and I and yeah. I feel that I need to be out there and answer the public's question. If, if once in a while someone throws, a, you know, a, a cheap shot, you take it, you answer it the best you can, and move on. Uh, but for the most part. The, the community of Griffith uh, is extremely supportive of their law enforcement. Uh, the officers, you know, we're, we're doing a, an emergency hire right now, and so many of the applicants are saying that they want to come work for Griffith because of the support the community shows the, the law enforcement. Uh, you know, it's it's if you if you monitor our, our social media presence and you and you see some of the feedback we get, uh, it's always you know applauding the officers and and thanking them for the the work they're doing. And uh, that that goes a lot further than people might think. Yeah. 
especially with some of the national uh, news that's out there. Um, it, it can be a challenging career. People uh, tend to lump uh, you in with others. And, uh, you know, the officers here in town don't have that issue. It, the, the, the local positive support they receive counteracts the, the negative national attention that's sometimes yeah. out there. So, uh, gee, any any thoughts on stuff like that? Uh, like, I mean, most most uh, publicly recently would be uh, Georgia. Um, you know, with with the citizens' arrest uh, fiasco. Um, I mean, as, as far as I know of, we haven't had anything like that. At least not not while I've been in Griffith. Uh, I don't know about all altogether but uh i mean like like you were saying griffith seems to be a pretty level-headed area um but uh i mean have have you ever encountered anything any anything like that yourself i mean obviously nothing to the scale of uh you know some of the national stories such as georgia um for the most part uh throughout my career i've never there's never been any kind of law enforcement issue as far as allegations of any, I shouldn't say that any um, verified or credible allegations of, of, you know, racism, uh, you know, in the community, I think in any community you have those outliers that are out there that, um, have their feelings that don't, don't really go in line with the rest of the community. And I think Griffith is no different, Yeah. but for the most part, no, we're, uh, I think you can tell by by the diversity that we do have, we're we're almost like a little microcosm of the United States as far as the demographics are concerned, and uh, we don't have those issues. You don't have the issues you hear about in other places. Everyone seems to be uh, uh, getting along, and uh, just everybody is, seems to be uh, on the same path of just trying to uh, live in a safe environment that's uh, friendly and and family orientated. Yeah, it doesn't matter what race or creed you are. So I I got in a conversation uh, the other day with uh, someone who's been on my show in the past. Uh, his name's Josh. Uh, he's a local comedian, but uh, he he posted an article. It ended up being from 2003, and uh, it was I, I can't even remember the the little area subdivision, but uh, it was somebody basically marketing to make this subdivision an all-white subdivision uh now i i mentioned it was from 2003 and i don't really hold that credible to today but if there was anything more recent then then i would give it you know obvious more thought yeah um i mean to my knowledge uh, i've looked a little bit but um it doesn't seem like there's anything like that by by any of the residents trying to push for um any type of situation like that anymore. I, I saw that post you were you're talking about. It, it someone brought it to my attention and I was trying to think back to two thousand three and I don't remember and not saying it didn't happen, but I don't remember what spurred that it was a letter to the editor, which I think you're referencing. Yeah. Where the subject said that uh you know, I guess there was a segment on sixty minutes about a community somewhere in the south where they were trying to keep a certain area uh primarily African American and why would that not be acceptable in this particular neighborhood in Griffith? And uh, like you said, that, that was many years ago. It's it's, uh, it's a disgusting. Uh, um, it was disgusting then. It's disgusting now. Yeah. And it's it's not. Um, 
it's not representative of our community. That's I, I didn't think it was, and that's why I wanted to ask you about yeah. it. Uh, that's why I, why I was talking to him about it because, you know, that's that article uh, which was a letter to the editor, which is one person's point of view, which he could have been the voice of, you know, more yeah. of his neighbors. Uh, I don't doubt that, uh, but it's 17 years ago, and uh, I mean, hell, I like I said, I'll be in Griffith for six years in August. And it seems like Griffith has changed quite a bit since we moved in. You yeah. know, just the little, just the little uh, main drag of Broad Street and everything. It just seems like everything is is popping in a good way. You know, and it, it's very true. In the last, it it probably goes back. The, the trend probably started about ten years ago, but in the last six seven years, it's really taken off. And I, you know, I think it's a it's a great thing to point out that. As we become more diverse, our communities improved. Yeah, and uh, that should be the argument that shuts up, you know, the the people that make idiotic comments uh, like that that letter to the editor that you're you're referencing. Yeah, but that's um, you know, and that's I, I guess it always comes. I always come back to uh, the cigar community. How it's you know, it doesn't matter who you are, and you know, for the most part, what you believe in. Uh, you smoke a cigar, you're going to get along with each other. Yeah, so. and that's one of the things that the few times that I've met with friends at the you know region cigar bars is uh, that very same thing. It's just just guys and girls sitting down with a like uh, um, interest, and they discuss all kinds of world topics. Just yeah. kind of like your podcast here. It's, yeah, it's a uh, it's a very unifying thing. Yeah, that's but, uh, it, it's a great community to be a part of. That's that's for sure. Um, like I said, random random cigars from hawaii showing up at the door uh you know and that that happens all the time you know with 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 a lot of people so um but you know you talk about diversity one of the issues that um law enforcement throughout the the nation is uh, really struggling with is trying to uh have our departments diverse and representative of our, our communities yeah and um you know it's it's genuinely hard to uh recruit a diverse uh pool of applicants and uh you know that's one of the things that at griffith police department we've been trying to do uh a few years ago uh, probably about five or six years ago we started actually doing a uh, a program where candidates of any race or gender uh religion whatever uh who have an interest in getting in law enforcement uh, we actually have a program we partnered up with indiana university university northwest uh, and the uh, South Lake YMCA, and between our three agencies, we, uh, or the police department, uh, YMCA, and the college, uh, have a workshop for people who are interested in, in getting in law enforcement. So what we're trying to do is is get people ready who may have never taken a police test to take that test and, and do well at it. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, a test that's unlike any other, you know, the interviews are different than, than any other interview that people have ever probably gone through. And I, I fear uh, too often people get discouraged. It's very rare for someone to get hired by the first department they hire with or interview with. Uh, you know, it's not too uncommon, especially when the, when the economy is poor. You know, for our department, we used to have 100, 120 people applying, and they might fill one position because we don't have a lot of turnover. Yeah. So if you do that two or three times because you're not used to that testing process, you might get discouraged and give up on it, especially if, if you're already going into, their, into that process with a feeling of, 
you know what, there's no other black or female officers on that department or Hispanic officers. I tested and I didn't get in the top five. They don't want me. I'm not going to do this. They, I'm just not wanted. And that's not true. It's just a very complicated test to take, and you, and you can't give up on it. So do you have to take that test every time you apply, or is it just every time you apply for a different muni- municipality, or so how the does way, that work? Yeah, so the way the state, it's a state law. Um, we have a hiring list. Every, every police department has a hiring list. That list lasts for uh, up to two years. It expires after two years. So either, either you uh, exhaust the list by hiring, say if you say at the very beginning of the process, we're going we're gonna to create a list of 10 officers, candidates. Uh, so you have two years to either not hire anyone off that list or to go through that entire list. So if you expire, if if you go through everyone in that list within your first year, then you start all over again with a new list. Or if you don't hire anyone or to hire all ten, then that list expires after two years. So then you would have to retest. Uh, and then every municipality has their own testing process. So, yeah. you know, if 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 you talk to most officers, most are going to say, "Hey, I probably applied." anywhere from three to a dozen different departments. So it's not uncommon, uncommon for someone to start applying when they're 21 and not get hired until they're 27. Yeah. And if you already have this attitude of, of not being wanted or desired by a police department, you might give up on this profession too, too soon. Yeah. So that was the hope of uh, having those, like, those workshops was uh, trying to uh, uh, take some of the uh, edge off of that new testing process make people more comfortable with it and give them the skills they need to, to score better on those tests and uh, to reassure them that, no, this is a profession that we want you in. Uh, you know, a diverse police department is uh, serves our community much better. Yeah. So now in Griffith, do you have to live in Griffith to uh, be an officer? or No, again, a lot of this stuff is, is dictated by state law. So municipal police departments, you don't have to live – uh, in the town, you can actually live into an adjoining county within the state. Okay. So, in, you know, in Lake County, uh, here in Griffith, we've got, you know, a couple officers live in Porter County. Uh, I used to live uh, out of town, uh, lived in town for a very short period when I got hired and then moved out. And it's a, just an adjustment. You know, it, it's hard. It worked out well for me. When I first got hired, I didn't like living in town because you'd go to the grocery store and you'd see the person you arrested for domestic battery. You drive past a certain house, <laughs> and you have you have you know what's going on in the house. You, you just were never able to turn it off. Yeah. So early on in my career, I, I moved out for probably seven, no, no more than that, about ten years, and uh, it was good for me at the time to be away. Uh, before I became chief, I moved back into town. I was in a different place, um, had a little bit more experience under my belt, was able to kind of learn how to disconnect a little bit better. And uh, it's been great. You know, it's yeah. great to, to be in the town you work in. There's a lot of advantages to it, but I don't fault any of my officers when they when they choose to move out of town. It's it's whatever's best for them psychologically and for their families. Yeah, yeah. I know many officers whose kids, uh, you know, went to school in the community they policed, and there's a lot of hardships that come with that. So, uh, again, there's there's pluses and minuses to both. But in yeah. Griffith, yeah, you can live uh, outside of town. All right. Um. So I guess kind of along with that, like, uh, I know I mentioned, you know, we, we talked about what you do for fun. Like, is there anything, anything special you do for, uh, and any stress, uh, such as, you know, a difficult case or anything like that? Uh, is there, is there therapy or is there, you know, uh, 
floating. Yeah. Uh, so this uh, this is kind of it was kind of a for most of my career, um, it was a topic that wasn't really discussed. Yeah. <clears throat> even though we, you know, we, you can go back and even in, in our small community of Griffith, we had an officer commit suicide in 1976. Uh, but it was one of those things that I didn't even realize and learn about the officer who committed suicide until years into my career. It was one of those silent things that, kind of like in a family. Yeah. Oftentimes, it's just never talked about. And that's a, that was a problem nationwide where the stress that the officers were dealing with was never properly acknowledged or addressed. So in the past <clears throat> few years, it's been a national movement that kind of changed that because now statistics are showing that more officers die at their own hands than they do in the line of duty. So in the last, I think, three or four years specifically, it's been significantly over the number of deaths on duty. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, in Griffith, uh, you know, for the past six, seven years, uh, we've made a part of our culture where uh, we make it known to the officers that, hey, if you have a case or an incident or a call that's bothering you, let us know. And, uh, you know, we, we go about it in different ways for different officers, however they want to handle it. We give them avenues where they don't have to even notify us. If they're afraid of some kind of stigma, they can go directly uh, through our insurance carrier to get the help. One of the things that uh, makes Griffith very unique is uh, two years ago we hired a, a social worker. Uh, and um, one of the things that she's tasked with is to uh, help us develop officer wellness programs and to be an avenue of support for the officers. Uh, she was the uh, the first when we hired her, the first police social worker in the state, and uh, she's come a long way in uh, you know building that trust with the officers uh, and and giving them an avenue uh, to talk to her about those issues. Throughout my career, I've been fortunate where I've had uh, some really good friends that were fellow officers. That um, that's how I cope with it. You just share share kind of hey, this is this is what's going on with me right now. I, yeah. You know, and then they would, you, you would just, you'd have that, that faith and trust in, in the person you're talking to and they would share, Hey, yeah, I dealt with the same thing and this is how I dealt with it. So yeah, before it was a little bit unorganized. Now we're making a little bit more of an organized effort. Uh, we're, we just applied for a grant, uh, to bring a, uh, some technology to our officer wellness program where they'll have an app that will, uh, kind of, allow the officer to do some self-diagnosis and then it'll give the officers some avenues of some help, whether that be through the department or through national uh, organizations. So we're, we're very hopeful for that. We're also looking to develop a, a peer support program that will uh, bring perhaps a retired officer, uh, put that person through some specialized training, as well as another officer who is from outside of the area. He's from uh, Chicago Land Police Department that I've gotten to know. Uh, he's got a very um, compelling uh, story uh, that that he lived and experienced that uh, caused him a lot of hardship, caused him uh, to retire, and now he's in a in a place where he's uh, ready to help others. And we're hoping to bring him on board with that program as well. Right on. So it's uh, it's something that uh, is on my mind, you know, almost daily. Uh, I've got you know 32 officers right now that. Uh, I'm responsible for, and uh, their well-being, their well-being both on the job and off the job, is uh, one of my biggest priorities. Yeah. So. Man, I had uh, I had something else in my head, and now now I can't remember it. 
Um, so that would be uh, one good reason to take notes. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how, how are you enjoying the cigar so far? I like it. Yeah. I've, uh, so you say he's out of northwest Indiana? Yeah. Is he out of, I mean. Well, the, 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 the factory is in Nicaragua, but he's, he's local here. Um, wait, let me see. Oh, oh, there it is. Does he have a storefront though, or uh, he's in he's in a couple of the shops in the area. Uh, like it, he doesn't have his own his own uh, store, but the uh, the Golden Leaf and Hobart all right uh, is is pretty much a a, a JSK lounge. Um, yeah, that's where I got these cigars. I ran out there last night, and um, I've got I've got some. Uh, some other JSK stuff here already, but um, I think it'd be a little bit, a little bit more heavy hitting than uh, than the Red Knights, and I didn't want to no, put you is, overboard or anything. So no, this is good. Some of my uh, buddies tried to hit me with uh, the strong stuff, so mm-hmm. this is nice. This is a, a pleasant smoke. Yeah, that's uh, norm- normally I would start somebody off uh, a little bit milder, but with you smoking cigars on occasion i figured it was this was a safe bet yeah. so um but um so how did you get uh, started with the podcast uh kind of completely random uh my brother was talking about doing one and that got me interested that actually got me to listen to a couple because i never listened to any podcasts right before he mentioned starting one uh so i started listening to a couple and uh you know he's talking about doing his and it's like well i like cigars and talking to people so i mean just like anybody else who has an idea and likes talking to people it's like oh i'll start a podcast Uh, everybody's everybody's got a podcast now so um well i've I've listened to you know when you told me about this you asked me to be on of course i did a little bit of research and i've listened to a few of your shows and i mean you've you've you got a very diverse audience you bring on, and uh, and often nationwide. I mean, you're, you're bringing people from all over the country. So yeah, and it's uh, I, you know, I've I've told people it's like I'll talk to I'll talk to anybody that that wants to have a conversation. Um, you know, because that's I I want to get to know people from everything. You know, um, and that's I I like to to learn a little bit about as much as I can. Um, you know, especially if I'm going to talk about something, I, I, you know, or get in conversations with people online or anything like that about subjects I don't know about, I, I better learn something about it. So, <laughs> I mean, this is this is the easiest way to to get to know one side of the story or another side of the story. You know, just to just to be a more um, a, a better part of the conversation, I guess. So. Well, like you said, it, it kind of. Uh takes that experience that you uh shared about you know the scar lounges and and takes it uh takes it to the internet yeah well it's my 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 original idea for the show was to go to different cigar lounges and just strike up random conversations with you know locals in the lounge or whatever um but it it didn't go that way and i ended up just kind of running with this my my wife is nice enough to tell me i could set (laughs) set a studio up in the garage uh I tried getting her to park in a garage, but she didn't want to. She told me to make it my space. Um, it's just your, her way of keeping you out of the house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
even though sometimes I get told I spend too much time out here, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's it's different now. Uh, this this being unemployed for the past month is pretty wild. It's it it's 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 nice on one hand, but I feel completely useless on the other. You know, uh, it's it's nice. I've been able to get some work done in here. Um, you know, random projects around the house, in the garage. Uh, you know, like I was telling you earlier, like this is a lot better than what it's been. <laughs> um, uh, it's actually like there, I have a floor in the middle of the garage now. That's nice. <laughs> it, it's nice to have that. Um, but uh, it's it it that that feeling of worthlessness that I I know. I know it's, uh, you know, I'm not worthless or anything like that, but it's just that feeling you get every once in a while, you know, kind of weighs on you for, you know, a little while and then you get over it, I guess. Uh, I'm lucky because I know, uh, like I have callback rights for my job at the mill. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Uh, as long as, as long as they stay afloat anyway. Yeah. Um, so I have that luxury of not having to worry about it as much as, a lot of other people so um i've been making the best of it yeah it's a uh, a feeling i'm sure that's shared by, by many right now with what's going on in our country with the pandemic and the economic uh, turmoil because of it um you know in law enforcement you know we're, we're kind of impacted in a different way but the one thing that uh is positive about our career in law enforcement is uh, usually it's pretty much if uh, you get hired and you're doing a good job, you're you're never going to get laid off. You're never going to get fired. Yeah. Uh, so there's some stability there and uh, some peace of mind that comes with that. And I, you know, I, my father uh, worked for years in the mill and, you know, especially in the 80s, you know, the people were laid off. And I can only imagine the stress that uh, that brought for those prolonged layoffs and then uh, you kind of the same feelings you're having right now. I can only imagine amplified with so many families in in Griffith and throughout the country. So my heart goes out to everybody. So Griffith has a a large population of small businesses. Um, do do you have any knowledge on how like how that how the small businesses in Griffith are being impacted yet, or uh, has there been a lot of I, I don't know if it would have anything to do with the police department, but any any uh, concerns stressed? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've talked to uh, a few of the business owners in town, and, and obviously they've been impacted and feel the stress that, that everyone has, and, and to some degree to a greater extent. But, you know, Griffith being the supportive community that it, that it is, it seems that people have rallied to, uh, to support the businesses the best they could. So I know even at the police department, you know, we were getting food, you know, two or three times a week. You know, residents were, were ordering a bunch of food from a local restaurant and have it sent to us. So is there a way of, of supporting the business and, and kind of showing our officers some support and appreciation for putting themselves at risk by, by working during this time? Uh, so I think a lot of that type of effort, and again, the community that Griffith is, uh, it's always one to support itself, that... Um, I think, I, I mean, I, everyone I've talked to, the business owners that I know, 
Uh, they're all, you know, making plans to reopen or they are in the process of reopening. So it's it's going to be a, a tough and lean year for a lot of people. But I think uh, if it can be done, it'll be done here in Griffith. Yeah. That's, I, know, I know Blyce was doing yeah. pretty well. There are a few businesses <laughs> that did very well during yeah. the pandemic, and Blyce was one of them. Um, that's, it seems like Grindhouse is, is doing well. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the businesses, they, they made, uh, you know, some painful adjustments, probably furloughed, uh, you know, employees to to survive and I, i'm sure as uh, things get back to normal which they will um so will the business operations yeah i know uh, the town's looking forward to uh moving forward with their festivals and, yeah uh, that's i i wanted to ask about uh because i know there's usually a few uh i mean rock and rail seems like it's far enough out to where that could go as planned i would assume but i'm no city planner um but i know that there's you know a couple others that are earlier in the season, um, you know, wondering if there's going to be an impact on that. Yeah. You know, the, the town fathers, they, they know, uh, and appreciate what the festivals bring for our community. Uh, you know, it's one of the, the things that when you mentioned Griffith is one of the first things that people mention now. Yeah. And before, you know, a decade ago, uh, the only reason why you came to Griffith was if you lived here, I mean, there really wasn't much to do. And because of the festivals and a lot of the businesses that those festivals have brought in as far as, um, you know, making Griffith more of a des- destination now, uh, that the town is eager to get those back on track. Yeah. Uh, I would think, uh, I can tell you that if uh, the state restrictions are, are lifted, uh, those festivals are going to be back. Uh, there's been no cancellations yet, some delays. The market obviously should have already started. Uh That'll get back on track, and it may be a modified uh, way, but that'll get back on track, I think, relatively soon. And then um, I think there's been some discussion on uh, continuing out with Blues Fest, just pushing it back a few weeks. Yeah. That's, and then uh, Rock and Rail, I can almost guarantee it's going to happen. Yeah, and that's that's such a good time every year. Um, yeah, the, the Blues Fest is fun. Uh, the market, I, I mean, we love the market. And, you know, that's, uh, I've, I've thought about getting a booth there. Uh, but I can't, I can't commit to, to every week. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I make pickles and, and whatnot. So it's, I've thought about getting, um, getting like the, the safe, serve safe certified so yeah. that I could, I could open up a booth. You know, the, the great thing about Griffith, our, our town council and, and, uh, everyone that works under the council, it's a very, if you, if you have a desire to do something, especially if it's going to improve uh, the community or improve their event, uh, they're, they're going to find a way to make it work for you. So I'm sure if you call uh, call town hall and say, hey, I'm looking to do something, but I can't commit to every Friday, they'll probably find some way to get you in there a few times out of the year. So yeah. I encourage you or any, any of your listeners, if they're interested, to uh, pursue that. Right on. Um, so I finally remembered what I wanted to ask earlier. Um, so being chief of police, um, I, I generally stay away from politics and whatnot, but... Uh, I imagine is there what's the next step uh do you plan on going uh for any political offices or um um no i don't i, don't, I never had it you know just like i never had an aspiration to be a police chief i never have a, had an inspiration yeah. to be a, an elected <laughs> official so i i'm not going to say it would it would be out of the question it would never happen but um right now you know my challenges uh I, I'm like anybody else. You, you want to be challenged. You want to you want to grow. 
and I don't think I'm to the point now where um, I've quite met all my challenges and I, I've completed my growth as a police chief. So for now, I'm content where I'm at. I'm uh, surrounded by uh, a great uh, an elected body that supports me. They, they don't interfere with, with my job. I'm allowed to uh, be a police chief and not worry about the politics. And uh, I'm surrounded by uh, 32 great officers, a slew of volunteers, a great staff that um, make my job too fun to, to pass up. Yeah. So right now I'm very content, but uh, we'll see where the future future takes me. So what, what in, your, in your opinion, is the best part of being police chief? You know, when I was a uh, patrol officer and to a greater extent an investigator, the problem that I had was I only saw the negative. Yeah. No one called no one calls a detective out when when something positive happened. Yeah. So the only the only thing I repeatedly saw was uh, the tragedies that took place in town and the the evil people that 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 caused the tragedy. So when I became the police chief, it was like a whole new world opened up to me. Uh, I was able to see all the uh, to a, a much greater extent and in much greater detail the all the the positive people in, in Griffith that uh, make it a great place to live. So by far uh, being able to, to see that and then having the power to, to make the changes uh, that I feel are going to improve the community and improve the life of the officers. Uh, you know, when you're a patrol officer, a detective, uh, you don't have a whole lot of say in things. And when you're the police chief, uh, I try to give my officers many avenues of input uh, so I know what they want. And if I can if I can marry all the worlds that I have to uh, uh, navigate, you know, i got to keep the public happy, the elected officials happy, uh, and the officers happy. If I can make all three of those uh, kind of join and find a way to make it happen. How uh, much that, of a balancing that, act is that? That's a great day. It's uh, I spend a lot of plates. I just got to keep keep them all <laughs> keep them all moving. But it, it's it's challenging. It's it's very rewarding. And again, to, to you know, see an officer uh, start off and see them progress through their career, and you know, you see when they first start FTO, they're out of the academy. You can see the fear, and and uh, you recognize uh, throughout your memories of where you were at in your career, and it's it's just great to see these officers develop and become experts uh, in their field and their craft. So now I know like when I was, uh, when I was an EMT, it was, you know, if you pick somebody off and you dropped them off at the ER or something like that was the end of it. Like you, there, there was no follow up. Yeah. You never found out the end result. So now with the, uh, with the police department or uh, I, I don't know if uh, an officer can, can check back or if as the chief, like, do, do you get a lot of, um, like, I guess, future feedback? or uh, did, is, is there ever any – is follow-up a regular thing to, to kind of check up and, oh, hey, you know, they were in a rough spot, now they're doing really good, you know, anything like that? Yeah, you know, to a we're, – we're trying to, to build on that. One of the things that – you know, I mentioned the police social worker position. One of the things that's always been um, – somewhat confusing to me was you know the way we dealt with issues you know you go to a house for we'll just say domestic and not domestic violence yet but you, you go there because there's there's people arguing their husband and wife or whatever their situation is uh and you go there and you you calm the fight for the moment 
you leave and you're back, you know, the next day or the next week. Yeah. And it's just an action that repeats and repeats. And you're trying to counsel people. And again, most law enforcement officers, you know, we're not, we don't have doctorates in psychology or, yeah. or sociology. We're not programmed to, to find the long-term solution for the most part. We make referrals, we'll give you a pamphlet, and we hope that despite the, the traumatic experience you just had, that you're going to somehow retain everything we just told you in 10 minutes and then take action yeah. to get yourself out of that issue. So it, it always seemed kind of backwards to me. So uh, uh, probably two years into being chief, uh, we, we had an officer, a uh, female officer, who was very passionate and very um, good at making connections with people. So I, I, I asked her, and she graciously agreed to do it. She was kind of a social services liaison where she would follow up with people. If it was a domestic issue, a mental illness issue, or alcohol or drug abuse issue, she would try to make that, that follow-up. So the officers that went there and made that 10-minute, 20-minute call and tried to counsel them, they would put in their report. That officer would then follow back with them to try to, to guide them to, for guide them to, to greater assistance where they can hopefully turn whatever their issue is around. Um, and she did a great job with it for a couple of years, and she did it under a grant. Um, the grant eventually expired, and she then retired. And uh, during that transition period, I had an intern in social work. And uh, just seeing the knowledge and the, and the contacts that she had, because she was uh, with the Department of Child Services for years, uh, how much uh, further she could take those type of calls, uh, we ended up hiring her and bringing her on uh, full-time. So with that now, we, we kind of have more of a follow-up. Now we have officers who, uh, you know, they'll document and report, but then I'll see them in her office saying, hey, we're just at this house. Uh, I'm really worried about, you know, the father seems to have an alcohol issue. Mom uh, seems to be in depression and the kids starting to act out. Uh, you know, there's something you can do. Uh, so our social worker uh, is partnered with schools, so she spends some of her time with the schools. So what she's able to do is she, you know, she hears that or she sees that police report, uh, and she, she looks into it, and then she goes into the school and starts talking you know, with uh, teachers and counselors to find out you know, what kind of problems going on with that child. And then she's able to approach the family and try to bring services to them, do all the work for them. So all they have to do is say yes. Right on. So now, now the officers have that opportunity uh, where she's following up with the officers saying, hey, thanks for that tip. I made, I made contact with the Joneses. Uh, you know, these are, are kind of the issues that I see taking place. Uh, you know, the, the Lake County Foundation has uh, this kind of program, and we're going to, uh, they've agreed to go through that. So it takes a lot of that stress off, off the officer because, you know, you're called to, for the most part, officers view themselves as problem solvers. And all of us know that you can't solve every problem with handcuffs and arrests. Yeah. And a lecture doesn't always work. Uh, so having that kind of follow-up and then having that feedback get back to them, uh, I think has been very positive. Right on. So, so uh, what is, uh, do you have any, any favorite stereotypes uh, as far as being an officer or a chief? Uh, favorite stereotype. Yeah. yeah this yeah. one's going to work better. I keep talking too much. My cigar keeps going out. Uh, it's, it happens a lot. Um, yeah, I, 
I mean, I'm going to ask you later what's your what's your least favorite, but I figured you probably don't get asked too often what your favorite stereotype is. So, um, if there is one, are, are there any positive stereotypes? Yeah, you know, you don't hear about too many positive stereotypes. Yeah. Usually, a stereotype has a negative connotation to it. Yeah. Um, you know, well, you know, the uh, one of the ones that's always out there is, you know, our love for donuts. And, you know, the answer to that is, <laughs> who, who doesn't love donuts? Yeah, you know, yeah. So what, what, what would be uh, the worst stereotype that... Um, you know, the, the thing that, that bothers me is when you, you see on social media that someone... And, and prior to social media, you know, you have one bad experience with a police officer. You tell 20 people. Mm-hmm. You have a positive experience with, with an officer, and usually that doesn't quite uh, make the same rounds. Yeah. So, you know, whenever I see something on social media that, that um, you know, circumvents a complaint to the department, and they, they put it on social media and just, hey, this officer did this, and I'm not happy about it. And uh, it doesn't give us an, a- an opportunity to address that, that issue or the complaint. And it's just out there and it's unresolved. So now not only does the person that experienced it have that negative feeling, but potentially anyone that viewed that post has that negative feeling. So you, you, have, that oppor- you, you have that missed opportunity. And I've taken steps where I've actually reached out to someone and said, hey, I read your, your comment. You know, I'm sorry you have that feeling. Let me, if you would like to talk, I would, I would love to hear from you. And I'm not trying to jam up officers because I've got a lot of faith in my officers. I know nine times out of ten, there's a reasonable explanation why they did what they did. Yeah, and, and, it, and it can be it can be an ex, it can be explained. Well, plus something like that, uh, you know, social media wise, like it's not like you could actually go into any rebuttal on social media. I, I'm sure you know HIPAA laws and you know just general privacy uh, isn't going to allow that right. uh, professional. Uh, you know, no matter what route you want to go. Uh, so something like that, even if it is resolved outside of Facebook or Twitter or whatever platform, most people aren't going to go back and retract that statement and or post another one saying, oh, hey, guys, that issue I had, it was a big misunderstanding, yeah. and now we're here. Uh, you know, it was worked out. Like, n- nobody advertises that fact, you know. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, it, uh, just like, just like most news outlets now, uh, the the first one to report it generally isn't right, but you're not going to get the, you know, the, they, they could retract it later, but nobody's going to look at the retraction. Yeah. They just see the headline. Right. So. Yeah, the retraction is usually buried in the newspaper. And yeah. The, and, you know, locally we've got, we've got good media. It's just, again, when those negative stereotypes get pushed away, I, I'm more concerned uh, not about a reputation because, again, We've proven over the long run that Griffith Police Department is a good police department and we don't have those kind of issues. But I worry about the individual that might take that and take it as truth and, and not call us or come to us for help because they need it. Because yeah. they, they already have this this uh, preconceived uh, feeling of what we're going to do or how we're going to respond. And that, and that to me is the biggest worry, that we're going to have someone that, that truly needs our help and they're not going to call us. Uh, so, you know... Your, your question was about stereotypes. So I, I guess stereotype would be, um, you know, that we're power hungry, that, uh, you know, we break the laws. We don't, you know, and we break the same laws that we enforce. And I think if you, if you look at it, um, most departments, when they have someone that, that makes those kind of mistakes, uh, 
they they're they're dealt with pretty severely and pretty quickly. Um, so you know, and those are the things that can't necessarily be explained or put out in the press because they're they're personnel issues and and they're employees and they have the same rights as other employees where yeah. some of that stuff can't be made public. Um, so you know, those are some of the things that that kind of uh, wear at you a little bit. Yeah, I can imagine. That's you know, I I don't envy you for that. That's for sure. Um, that's I gotta say, I'm I'm happy with my with my number status, I guess. Uh, just just being a number at a company, uh, I don't have to worry about any drama or anything like that, especially anything public for sure any public scrutiny or uh anything like that well and again i don't want to i don't want to you know leave a a bad impression uh for the most part you know there's more there's more really great days than there are bad days in this profession yeah Uh, and it's just a matter of how you deal with those those things uh and you just can't let things get to you yeah gotta have thick skin because you know by the same token yeah, we get we get negative press once in a while, but you know what? We we do get our fair amount of good press. And when an officer does great, sometimes they get a lot of a lot of publicity from it. So, and that's not really why they do it. But again, by the same token, if you're in the public eye, you're going to get praised publicly and scrutinized publicly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, see, is there uh, anything you want to, any thoughts you want to leave with, or? No, I want to. I just thank you. Uh, I was surprised when, uh, you know, I was reading those Ask the Chief questions and uh, you popped up there and asking me if uh, I smoke cigars and if I'd be interested in doing a podcast. Uh, I'm always looking for a different way to connect with people, and uh, this has been a great experience and, and gave me an opportunity to speak about things that uh, I ordinarily don't get to uh, talk about. Usually yeah. <laughs> uh, when I get inquiries, uh, whether it be radio or newspaper, it's it's confined to a small amount of time, and this was uh, very open and uh Hopefully I didn't uh, drift off track too much. Oh, no. That's, I mean, I I could drift a lot further. (laughs) So, Um, but yeah, I think that's a good spot. So uh, I definitely thank you for for coming and hanging out a bit. And uh, maybe one of these days we could do it while while you're not so reserved to the job and, uh, you know, uh, tap into a bottle or something. Sounds great. I'll be waiting for uh, the invite. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks. All right, there you have it. Uh, thank you to Greg Mance for coming and hanging out in the Black Flannel studio and talking for a bit. Um, and don't forget theherfcast.com, all the links to social media, uh, Patreon, and the store, and all that stuff is there for your use. Uh, and stogiebird.com, use the code HERFCAST to save $5 off your order. Stogiebird.com. Use the code HERFCAST. Save five bucks. Uh, Till next time. Thanks, everyone.